if this is the first time that you've done a loving-kindness retreat, or maybe even if you've done other ones before, you might be discovering by now one that metta or loving-kindness has a lot of different aspects, that you can experience it in many different ways, and that perhaps some of those aspects have very little to do with uh, our expectations or our ideas about what loving-kindness should feel like or how we should experience it. Tonight I want to talk uh, mostly about a particular, less flamboyant aspect of loving-kindness, but one which is, uh, I think, particularly helpful to tune into at this time of the retreat in particular, and because it's also the aspect, an aspect that really opens us to deep acceptance and freedom. And actually, it is the aspect of metta that is sometimes called patience or open acceptance. It's not too flamboyant. I remember a couple years ago, a conversation I had with a man who was on a retreat. It was a Vipassana retreat, but he really wanted to talk about loving kindness and his uh, resistance, really, his sort of negative feeling about loving kindness and why he didn't really want to practice it or think it was a good idea, which I think shows one of our sort of inaccurate expectations or ideas about what love is. To him, it was that he, he thought that metta and conditioning us to really accept whatever arises, to meet whatever arises with friendliness, uh, is a form of weakness, of, of real passivity, leading to victimization, to letting ourselves be used as a doormat, for example. Just this kind of, you know, namby-pambiness, oh, everything's okay, everything's lovely. And it, it sort of corresponds to, in our culture, some of the ways that we experience the idea of love, I think carry over into what we perhaps unconsciously associate with metta. So one aspect that we often think of as love is this, you could call it sentimentality, that everything's you know, kind of soft and rose-colored, and it's the kind of thing that's in movies, you know, when lovers are tripping through a beautiful field of flowers and Mozart's playing in the background, and everything is just so perfect. And of course, they have to end it. They lived happily ever after, which, as we know, is impossible. But they have to end it there because you really can't keep up that illusion of soft, beautiful, everything's nice perfection. But it's, it's easy to drift into that sort of sentimental idea of love and to a little bit bring that into what we might expect of metta, that somehow all our experience turns nice. And, you know, if we're filled with metta, then everyone we meet is really so sweet and pleasant, you know, and the world, you know, takes on that rosy glow. So you can forget that. That's not what happens, exactly. And looking for that just sets us up for for trouble. Anyway, that's not not, uh, love with wisdom. And metta comes with wisdom. Metta arises from wisdom, is associated with wisdom, with seeing things as they are. The flip side of of our uh, kind of inaccurate assumptions about love is, is not weak, but really strong. You know, the real sense of passion, which is usually blind, but it leads to incredible strength and sacrifice and willingness to be together, willingness to die for love, love of country, love of another person, whatever. This real strength, and that can lead to a sense of blind passion. And in our loving-kindness practice, it can subtly at times lead us to expect that if we're, that the metta should be, you know, these throes of ecstatic bliss most of the time, or that's really the culmination of it. If we're not experiencing it that way, we're not there yet. 
And in fact, maybe we've never experienced one single instant of metta at all because maybe you don't experience it that way. You certainly, I can promise, will not always experience it that way. And it would be, I think it would be exhausting, personally. But uh, I'm one of the people who rarely experiences things that way. But again, that blindness, that passion is associated with clinging, with attachment. And this is also not the love, the true love, the pure love that comes from wisdom. Metta arises from wisdom. And one way that, for me, I like to express the essence of wisdom is the the deep recognition of our intrinsic wholeness, of our essential inner completeness. And metta is a powerful way, a powerful force that lets us access this deep truth. Not an intellectual truth, oh yes, we're essentially complete. I mean experientially knowing, living from that place of inner wholeness, of completeness. Now we've said, and the Buddha often said, that everybody wants to be happy. I, I think, this is me now, not the Buddha, that the, the real yearning, that yearning for happiness, that yearning for whatever it is we're yearning for, at least in myself I experience it as a yearning for that unity, as a yearning for coming home to deep inner connection, to true peace. The, the sad aspect of our experience is that we, in that yearning for deep completion, we don't really see, we somehow have lost sight of the fact that we've already got it, and we keep looking outside to experience, to people, to whatever, to try and somehow feel whole again, somehow feel complete. I, uh, I read in a newspaper last year, it was a, a little description of an Oprah Winfrey show, where she had had on her show Um, I assume you all know this is a talk show, I think, Oprah Winfrey. I've actually never seen her. But she had on her show, um, she was mimicking a movie called Sleepless in Seattle, sort of about, uh, I think it was about a widower who called into a radio show or something to try and meet a partner. So anyway, on Oprah's show, she had five males who uh, had in some period of recent time lost their wives And I think they had children, too. And I think they had, like, good jobs, like doctors or lawyers or something. I assume they probably were nice-looking. I don't know, since I didn't really mention that. But anyway, the, the point of this program was just introducing these guys. I mean, what can you really get to know about some guy sitting on Oprah Winfrey for an hour? And then she sort of invited any women. So this was sort of... Uh, heterosexual biased, any women who are interested <laughs> to, to write in letters, you know, to ask for a date. Two weeks later, she came up on her show with a bulldozer. She had received 60,000 letters. These guys actually had received 60,000 letters from women who were, you know, looking for love, looking for happiness, looking for a partner. And, uh, Actually, it made me really sad, in a way, the loneliness in our culture and the lack of connection, family, whatever. And we can read all kinds of sociological stuff into it. But my point for now is that that, to me, was a great example of how we posit our happiness, how we, how we think that somehow completion can only be found outside of ourselves, sometimes way outside of ourselves. And it's just this looking that keeps us from recognizing we're already home. Loving kindness, this metta practice that we're doing, is opening up our heart, opening up our experience 
so that more and more deeply we can come to recognize this place of inner completion and to dwell, to rest here more and more frequently and to respond to other beings, to respond to the world from a place of unity rather than from a place of fear and separation and fragmentation. It's from a Tibetan text about how the sense of completion is already here within us. Not knowing that this state is within oneself, how amazing that one searches for it elsewhere. Although it is clearly manifest, like the radiance of the sun, how amazing that so few see it. No matter how much happiness and sorrow is experienced, how amazing that this state is never impaired or improved on in the slightest. This self-awareness is naturally free from the very first. How amazing that it is realized by just resting at ease in whatever happens. Resting at ease in whatever happens. This is really one of the aspects of metta one of the ways of being in our life in the world that metta opens up to us. And that's the aspect of metta I want to talk about tonight. This, what we call in English, patience, which is pretty undramatic and even boring, could we say. But it opens us up to this resting at ease in whatever happens, which is truly connected and beautiful as a way to live our lives. It's transformative. And this acceptance, true acceptance, patience, is metta. And I think it's, it's often, you might experience it very often here in the retreat, but because it's so unflamboyant, and often nothing special, just a kind of mild friendliness, a kind of sense of okayness with things, you know, that we can easily overlook it or think, this, this isn't quite good enough, you know, it's not quite juicy enough. Try to work it up a little bit. Or we might see in this thinking patience, I didn't really come here for that, you know. (laughs) I was expecting some kind of really blissful, far-out, unitive state that I would get to, at least by the end, but hopefully by the fifth day, and stay there, you know, maybe with breaks for eating until the end of the retreat. And if I do enough retreats, that'll be it, you know, for the rest of my life. You can see that there's a way we, I mean, I know that's a little exaggerated, but it hits a nerve, you know, that there's a way that we're still looking for loving kindness to bring us out of our sense of fragmentation, and it's a false sense of fragmentation. We're not fragmented, but we think we are. We live as if we were. We perceive experience as if we were somehow separate or fragmented. And somehow looking for metta as a way to take us out of it, the fragmentation, the separateness, the loneliness, but also it should take us out of everyday mundane experience as well. I mean, the stuff that's been going on the last two days, the large part of some of your experiences, does that count? I mean, is that what you're looking for? The knee pain, the sleepiness? the incredible boredom with these four phrases that pound in your head like a drill, this over and over coming back, coming back, the effort that it requires, and then when you say you're putting out effort, we say take it easy. (laughs) And then at the next minute we say be continuous, you know, keep it up no matter what you're doing, but take it easy. Is this, you know, not exactly what, well, we might not have even consciously known what we had in mind, but usually it's not that. 
usually that's not what we think when we think about practicing metta. And this is exactly the place where patience, not as, okay, I'll wait it out till it gets better. That's not patience. That's, you know, mild form of aversion. <laughs> but it is. It's like, okay. Uh. But it's in these difficult places or simply mundane places or just sort of boring places that we begin to discover truly what metta is and truly what the power of this open, accepting quality that metta brings to experience. Acceptance, patience, arising from mindful, clear seeing. So it's arising again from wisdom. We can see that as we pay attention to our experience throughout these days, that one of the ways that metta, that acceptance, that clear seeing, that acceptance arises from, helps to heal us from fragmentation is by allowing us to discover moment to moment how this sense of fragmentation is being perpetuated, how it's arising in our moment to moment relationship with experience and how it's being perpetuated throughout the day through more moments of experience and through not really looking at what's happening and then drawing conclusions and interpretations about what's happening that take us really far away from just being here and now. I'll give an example of what I mean. Just reflect for a minute on any of the various experiences you've had today. I know that you know we're pretty much doing as a form the same thing you know, holding to this sense of self or benefactor, repeating the phrases. Within that, there's varying degrees of of loving kindness or friendliness or acceptance or heart of stone. And there's also other experiences, physical experiences of comfort or dis-ease or pain or heaviness or sleepiness, mental, emotional experiences of frustration, discouragement, uh, love, boredom, self-judgment, self-loathing, sleepiness, whatever. So just a moment, reflect on all the various beautiful experiences, difficult experiences, sort of boring experiences. And if you can remember, what was the attitude of heart of mind that would flow into and meet these experiences? Or did actually, on the unpleasant experiences, was there any semblance of flowing in and meeting the experience? Now, the attitude of heart, of metta, of true acceptance, of patience, is a real open-hearted, full meeting of whatever's arising, without judgment, without trying to change, without hating, without loving. It's a wholehearted embracing of each event, whether it's knee pain, whether it's heart like a stone, whether it's feeling really loving and fulfilled, whether it's just ho-hum, another sitting. Whatever it is that arises, this willingness to be fully present, experience it quite openly, not cling to it if it's beautiful, not try to make it stay, not flinch away if it's difficult or unpleasant or not what we had in mind. That's the attitude of metta. But is that, is that our habitual reaction to experience? If it's just things are just coming and going and we're trying to get into loving kindness? It becomes more habitual through this cultivation of the intention of metta that we're doing, absolutely. But one of the reasons that we are really working so hard, devoting so much time and energy to the cultivation of the intention of deep loving kindness, of self-acceptance, is because it's not, for many of us, 
the habitual response or reaction of heart to experience that comes up. Most likely, most habitual is that if something is difficult or unpleasant, painful physically, painful emotionally, or unpleasant simply in that it's not what we wanted, that it doesn't meet some idea we have of what should be happening. That in itself can be extremely unpleasant. The tendency when we're not really meeting or paying attention, when any of these experiences come up is, oh, this is a mistake. This shouldn't be happening. I've got to get rid of it, or I've done something wrong, or somehow this has to change so I can do the practice properly, so I can get on with things. If a pleasant experience arises, it's feeling very loving, very light and at ease in the body, or in some way it meets your expectations, even if only for a moment, quite insidiously, the thought can come up or not even quite form, ah, this is right. Now somehow I've got on the right track and I've got to figure out how to make it stay this way and in fact get more this way until it doesn't change anymore. And if it's neutral, actually, well, we just don't even notice it. And then it becomes difficult because it's, it's not intense enough, you know, and so then we've moved into difficulty. Right here, in this very basic relation to emotional, physical, inner or outer, so to speak, experience, this rejecting of certain things, denying, avoiding, this clinging to others, kind of madly trying to make things happen or make things stay, choosing one experience as the way things should be and throwing others away, this in itself is creating a sense of real fragmentation in our lives. We're rejecting half of our life experience as not being valid, as not being okay. And, you know, and we're looking for other things that aren't here <clears throat> that we need to be complete, to be fulfilled. And then there's a whole level in the middle that we're just ignoring completely and not really alive and vital in. These filters, filters of clinging and attachment, of aversion to what's difficult, of not even noticing what's sort of neutral, become filters through which we experience and evaluate experience, perceive experience, and they keep us spinning in confusion because it's through this filter then we'll try for something more pleasant to come back to the sense of completion, to find true happiness. And of course, whatever pleasant thing we find, at some point it changes, it goes away. So then we look for another and we look for another not seeing that we need to see through the filters themselves. This whole sense of confusion, fragmentation, limitation, the habit of mind that keeps us in the sense of separation, this particular one I'm speaking about, is fed very deeply by not recognizing the truth of impermanence by somehow, even though consciously we know everything changes, we're all born, we all die, there's seasons, nothing lasts, even though consciously we know that, to really, on a deep level, live from that place, that we respond to experience knowing that things change, that I cannot control that, that if something beautiful goes away, it's not my fault. If something difficult comes up, it's not, I'm not to blame. That none of it will last. If we really related to our life, in our life, to experience from that deep understanding, you'd see so much of our sense of struggle of our sense of fragmentation and limitation would fall away. Because the sense of looking outside for something that's changing to bring us 
ultimate satisfaction would go away. And if you think of it, any time during the next day or so, when you, when you realize that you know, the metta sort of faded and you're in a sense of some kind of struggle with whatever's going on, you know, whether it's a knee pain or a back pain, whether it's a feeling of sadness or a, a sense of self-judgment, whatever. See if you can notice that there's some underlying, maybe not quite conscious assumption that, one, what's happening is never going to change. I'm going to have to live the rest of my life feeling this miserable, with my knee hurting, hating myself this much, being this unconcentrated or whatever. Or how much comes from a sense of something that you liked having gone away and the despair and the sense of self-blame that can come from that, that somehow I've done something wrong, I lost it, and I have to find a way to get it back. And it's just this shrinking back from the unpleasant and lunging into the pleasant that keeps us from opening fully to what's here right now. It's what keeps us from seeing that we're already whole. So metta, this loving-kindness practice, why it's so revolutionary, because it's a real training in opening our hearts and opening to our life experience in a whole other way. It's revolutionary, and because it's a real training in it, It's not like we just have to wait and hope that a bolt of insight hits our heart and we suddenly see through, you know, all the clinging and all the aversion. That'll happen from time to time. But along the way, each time that we can come back to a moment of metta, strengthen in that moment simply the intention of well-wishing to whoever it is, to whatever the situation is, that's a moment of strengthening that ability to be really patient and accepting and not feeding our old habit, you know, of looking for happiness where it can't be found. So this, a moment of metta brings a real equality of attitude. We, we cultivate that through the formal practice. As you know, we'll go through different sets of people. So we start with people that are supposed to be easy to feel metta, not a contradiction. I say supposed to be because often for ourselves it is a contradiction. But a benefactor, a dear friend. But then it moves to a neutral person and then we move to a so-called difficult person. Cultivating a true well-wishing, a true equality of attitude to each of these people. And it really works. I know that at at some point, the person I was using for my neutral person, I didn't even know her name. Uh, I was sitting here and she was sitting here. And if I saw her somewhere after a few weeks, I would get so happy. Just this happiness would come up. You know, I knew nothing about her. Just from the cultivation of a well-wishing for somebody. And as the metta goes on, it's, it's very carefully planned so that we open up the field and consciously begin to cultivate the ability to tune in to some lovable aspect of any body or any situation. And then you find that that begins to be the attitude that we bring into meeting whatever experiences are coming up. So we talk about here since we're here on the retreat. You might think that if you're not just saying the phrases, you're not cultivating metta. But each time you bring this openness, this equality of attitude, this really flowing into experience to what's happening, that is metta. That is loving kindness. And it's not blind, it's not one-sided, that actually meeting the difficult with this open acceptance brings a spaciousness and an inclusivity of experience that's quite 
amazing. I'll just give a small example. Um, of yesterday, I was driving home in the afternoon, I think, and I was, for some reason, physically just really tired and heavy. And so I was driving home and aware of that and just feeling, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so heavy. You know, why am I so tired? Oh, you know, just, so, so I was aware of it. You know, I knew that's how I felt, but it wasn't the awareness of mindfulness, of, of uh, non-judging, meeting acceptance. My heart and mind were really shrinking back from the experience of heaviness and tiredness, and there's aversion to it. And, then, and that was all I was aware of that in the road, you know, that was my world, it was very constricted. And then, just for some reason, and not consciously, I didn't decide, oh, I should do metta at all. But what I did was just let my real open attention flow into the physical experience of the tiredness and heaviness itself, whereas before I had been shrinking back. So I just flowed all my energy and attention, mindful attention, into it, feeling heaviness, feeling tiredness, just being fully present without a judgment or an expectation. Very interesting. In just a moment, the tension eased, because so much of the tension was the result of uh, aversion, you know, resistance to what I was experiencing. The tension eased, and a, a real spaciousness came in. I stayed tired, of course, but... All of a sudden, just quite spontaneously, I said, wow, isn't this a beautiful day? And then I started noticing little chipmunks, which were all over, and they were kind of playing on the side of the driveway as I was driving. So, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet? You know? And just this whole sense of uh, inclusivity of life, that there's a lot of beautiful stuff, there were some really pleasant things happening, and I was still feeling tired and heavy, yes, but it really didn't matter very much. That's just a little example But that's what I mean by the sense of bringing the attitude of metta, of patience and acceptance to our experience. And especially in these first days of retreat, well, really all along, but especially in the first days when uh, sort of the, the focusing and the being pulled inward of the metta hasn't developed as strongly yet. You'll be much more aware of, you know, physical discomforts and annoying sounds outside or things going on or emotional states or so. And there'll be times when what else is going on is a little too strong to just be able to notice it and come back to the metta. And so that's the time that our mindfulness, our awareness practice, can really come to our aid. And the awareness is really grounded in, again, in the field of metta. In a way, as we've said often, the two are are corollaries. They're really intertwined, um, especially the attitudes. So bringing in the quality of their attention of moving directly into experience when you're beginning to feel a struggle, not able to stay with the metta. Bring your bare attention immediately into the experience with this attitude of patient, loving acceptance. Bare attention to the bare experience, I mean, as opposed to our interpretations and ideas and judgments that we make about experience. So, for example, with my tiredness yesterday, before I used bare attention to just flow right into the physical experience of tiredness itself, what I was caught in, and knowing I was tired, I could easily have said, oh, I'm aware that I'm tired. There's awareness. There was awareness, but there wasn't mindfulness. There wasn't bare attention grounded in metta. And so, instead of really feeling the tiredness, I get into feeling... I don't like it. I wish it would go away. It's happening because of X, Y, and Z. There's something wrong with me. There's something physically wrong. I should go to a doctor. I need a full checkup. You know, in the mind, you know how the mind just goes. And if we're not really paying attention, we can say, oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. I was really aware that I was tired. Sort of aware of this whole process, but not bringing attention into the bare experience. 
And so that's something to, to really begin to pay attention to over these days. Because there will be times when this is an invaluable tool, this bare attention grounded in metta. So when a difficult experience comes up, notice how you habitually respond or what constructs, what interpretations does the mind tend to get hooked into. If it's unpleasant, you know, does it bring up aversion or fear? I've got to get rid of this. Something horrible is going to happen. It's a mistake. Does it bring up self-judging? You know, this shouldn't be happening. It's happening because I'm no good, because I'm worthless, because I'm useless. Does it bring up a sense of outer anger? It's happening because these people sitting around me are total jerks. It's happening because this place is really out to lunch. It's happening because, you know, whatever. Happening because the food isn't right. Once you notice that you're beginning to get hooked into some interpretation, that you're trying to come back to the metta, okay, I know my knee hurts, I'll just come back, may I be happy, send metta to the knee, uh-oh, about another 40 minutes, uh-oh, I wonder if I'm going to have to go to the hospital, I wonder why Carol sits on the chair, I bet she really blew her knees out, you know, and the mind goes on and on and on. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> When you can begin to notice that that's what's happening, that's the time to see that you're getting hooked. Take your attention at that point off of the phrases and bring it right into, very lovingly but very openly, the actual experience of sensation in the knee itself. No expectation, no judgment, good or bad, it should go away if I do it right, nothing of that. Just simply, lovingly, openly, being there for it, being there with it. Notice what happens. In that, that is the quality of all-embracing metta, simply being with what is because it's there. It doesn't mean that you know, we can't tell the difference between a painful sensation and a pleasant one. And of course, given our preference in life, we're not going to say, I don't care if I stick my hand in the fire or not. You know, we're, talking, we're not talking about losing discriminating wisdom, but we're talking about being able to open to life as it presents our, itself. And as life presents itself, it's going to have the whole show. There's going to be many painful and difficult moments in our bodies, in our hearts, in external experience, There's going to be many beautiful and loving and connected moments and pleasant moments. And there's going to be many that are sort of neutral. And the quality that transforms our life is to meet each moment with a real open, affectionate curiosity, with an all-embracing willingness to be present because it's what is so. And in that, you can find that we meet life with a real peace and spaciousness that is not dependent on having things change. And it's not dependent on receiving something from the outside in order to feel happy. That's really one of the wonderful things about this loving-kindness practice, that we see over and over that the happiness the connectedness with ourselves, with other beings, with our own experience that's generated in the loving kindness, no one else is like beaming that into you and making it happen. You know? And it's not that somehow it's being created artificially. It's really much more of a sort of a purification, clearing away the barriers, clearing away the false sense of limitation, of separation, of preference that lets the loving kindness, that lets the unitive energy begin to shine forth more and more. So patience, metta, acceptance is not a sort of stepping back from experience. Okay, I can be with this. I can be with this. I know it'll change. Not really. That's sort of indifference or fake 
patience. Real metta patience is actively connected, really actively connected to experience, very wholeheartedly present in experience, actively aware, yet with the bare experience itself, not constructing some tower of interpretation and personal story about it. And seeing the whole show, the proximate cause in the commentaries, the proximate cause for patience to arise is seeing things as they are. Patience is a result of true wisdom, of seeing things as they are. It's really quite profound. When we really see that things are changing, when we really understand that, patience, active connection without expectation, open acceptance, that arises quite naturally. And it's not a kind of passive submission. I can't do anything about it anyway. It's not passive at all. It's not victimization. It's active, active, very powerful, and it lends great strength and courage, much more so, actually, I think, I find, than the sort of pretend I can put up with it, you know, kind of a false equanimity. It's transformative. Seeing things as they are lets us meet whatever arises with deep acceptance. I don't know why it why it's so so sort of difficult for us to really get this, how things are. Even just the simplicity of change. And look in your own practice and see how often we resist it. Look at the world, the rhythms of nature, the fact of seasons, the fact of day and night, the fact that we're all aging, that sometimes we're healthy, sometimes we're sick, sometimes we're happy, we're having a good year, sometimes, you know, it's like a year from hell. You can look around and see how some friends are going through very beautiful times, some are going through very difficult times, and then two years later it'll be switched around. I have a good friend who said to me last year, he said, you know, I've been so happy. I wonder what's going to make a change. I thought it was just really a very wise thing to say, because he knew, of course, it would change. And just wondering what thing would seem to be the catalyst for it. Or to see that even when something's beautiful, it isn't all beautiful. There's also difficult experience. We go outside. It's finally so beautiful after all these months. And the black flies are there immediately as soon as it gets warm. I can't stay outside for more than five minutes. It's just how it is. There's both sides. Just like I was really tired and it's also a beautiful day. Opening deeply to one aspect, we open to all aspects. Trying to even unconsciously block out one aspect. Well, we block out our access to our own completion. We block out the access to true love and connection. So in your practice here, in the simple metta practice, really knowing sometimes the practice will be really calm, really centered, connected, the metta will seem to flow. Sometimes it'll be really restless, really jumpy, really boring, your heart's like a dead stone, nothing's going on. That's just the way it is. There's absolutely nothing that's going wrong in that. And if we get away from knowing that, if we get lost back again in our expectations, you can see what a rich feel that is for self-judgment. How getting lost in one just slightly unpleasant experience that we don't see we're resisting or avoiding or thinking is a sign of my badness, it can lead into a whole world of self-loathing and everything bad you've ever done, everything you've ever failed at since you were five years old, 
You know, you've had five thoughts in a row. One of them lasted five minutes. You come back and say, see, I could never focus. I can't do this. I can't concentrate. I failed math when I was in third grade. And it'll just keep going and going and going. And then you wonder why you don't feel loving kindness for yourself. And it really just starts with something so simple as not accepting that, oh, in this moment, the mind is wandering. In another moment, it won't be wandering. Both are okay. When we're not deluded anymore by changing conditions, not deluded into thinking that there's some lasting, unchanging condition that we can create or hold on to that's going to bring us happiness, when we stop looking outside of ourselves for that, this is what metta can open to us. Not that we think the metta itself stays in some unchanging way of experience. It will experience the whole range of it. But metta as an attitude, as a way that we greet life, far from being weak and passive, it opens us up to the whole show with great courage, the courage of seeing things as they are and the willingness to act that comes from real love and compassion. And that sense of inclusivity, you know, for me it's sort of knowing that in any situation that's going on, say, in the world among people, when I'm really tuned into a sense of acceptance and patience with myself and with others, I know that you know, I could probably at, any, at some point act in any of the roles that are going on in the situation. You know? And who am I to judge or say that one is better than the other or to withhold including a sense of well-wishing for one person because they don't deserve it? This, what made me think of that? I just want to read. Um, this is just from the newspaper to this morning. Just a little scenario, one of however many are happening in the world, millions. It's a painful scenario. And it's in Sarajevo. And this is sort of a young man, about 20, who was uh, just walking across the street, and he was hit by a sniper fire. And it, uh, it hit him in the back and knocked him down, and he's paralyzed now. But the scenario is, as he was walking across and, and got hit by the sniper, there was a, a TV cameraman filming this. So the guy filmed it. There was um, a United Nations peacekeeping soldier sort of standing on the side under cover who was sort of frozen and watching the whole thing. And then there was a civilian who was galvanized to action and came and yelled at the the United Nations soldier to to move his vehicle to cover the civilian from the sniper, and then the civilian ran and dragged the the hit young man out of the street. So it's interesting. That's what the the paper's saying, you know. It's a very weird scenario, but just a little synopsis of so many different ways happening in one situation. There's the sniper, a civilian shot on the city street, a television cameraman who's waiting there for something like that to happen so he can film it. The United Nations soldier who's really afraid and sort of frozen and and doesn't know how to act. And then the civilian who's just sort of galvanized and goes and helps. It's just a scenario of life, you know. To me, it just was all the different ways that humans can be in, in one little synopsis. And I could really... It's sometimes I could see how I could be any of those. And so the sense of metta is not to say, well, it doesn't matter if you shoot somebody. Who cares? I don't mean that at all. But for me, the challenge is really, can I find the place in my heart that can open, really deeply open, to the fact that each of those things is happening? That is life. It isn't all beautiful. It isn't all ugly. It's the whole show. And the power of metta, of this patience, of this open acceptance, is that it lets us be really alive there, in the middle of the show. Embrace all aspects of ourself. And in that way, we really heal our sense of fragmentation. 
And in embracing all aspects of ourself with acceptance, we really find that we can embrace aspects of others with acceptance and understanding. doesn't mean that we'd encourage people to kill. We might be able to be the one who could act. You know, when we're not lost in, in fear, when we know things change, we might be the one who could act. But at another time, we might be frozen in fear. And can that be okay, too? Can we embrace all aspects of ourself and all aspects of life And this power of metta really lets us begin to be able to do that. And in doing so, it it absolutely transforms how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to life. I just want to end with a... This is a quotation from Dostoevsky. So it's a... The language is, you know, a little different from our language. But he's talking... I think he's basically talking about metta and embracing the whole show. He says, have no fear of human sin. Love people even for their sin, for that love is the semblance of divine love and is the highest love on earth. Love all of God's creation, the whole and every grain of sand of it. Love every leaf, every ray of light. Love the animals, love the plants, love everything. Because if you love everything, you will perceive the divine mystery in things. Once you perceive it, you will begin to comprehend it better every day. And you will come at last to love the whole world with an all-embracing love. Or just an all-embracing acceptance. Let's sit for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.